Hey everyone, welcome to Perspectives of Change. Uh, today we are here with a special guest and as always, I'm going to introduce our guest on the topic in just a moment after we introduce the show to you. I'm your host, Sarika Karbanda, and Perspectives of Change is a show dedicated to exploring how to nudge change forward by understanding and valuing multiple perspectives. Because sometimes we forget that our perspective as a change agent is just one of many. The topic that we have for our show today is called Changing the World Through Small Consistent Actions. And I'm actually going to uh, uh, probably read or talk about some excerpt that I kind of grabbed uh, from our guest speaker's uh, talk, one of his talks that he's done in the past. And the way he quotes it is there are thousands of social issues we are facing in the world today that need courageous leaders like ourselves to step up and face these problems. Uh, the biggest lie we've ever been taught, told or heard is that one person is too insignificant or even irrelevant, I would say, to bring about a change if you look at that from a global scale perspectives or a larger perspective. And I completely agree when Sam Demer says that is false, because indeed it is. I'm sure we can all change the world. But don't believe me, let's introduce our speaker to you. So we have Sam dialing in from Toronto. Welcome, Sam. Sarika, it's such a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Thank you so much for having me on the show. In fact, I think it's it's an honor. It's a delight to have you on the show. I'm so glad you had the time to be here. So thank you. Of course, of course, <laughs> I'm excited. <sighs> So I'm going to do a very short introduction of you, Sam, and I'm sure I'm not going to do enough justice to it. So I will begin and I'd love I'd love for you to take that introduction forward, you know, into your story, which is what we want to dive into and hear more about it. Um, so here's my introduction of Sam, as as I've learned now about Sam. Uh, he's a youth keynote speaker. Um, still 22 years old, Sam. Still 22. Okay, so 22-year-old professional speaker, uh, avid reader and co-founder of uh, your social enterprise called Pick, Pick Waste. And due to your work with Pick Waste, as I understand, you've been named one of the top 25 under 25 environmentalists uh, all throughout Canada. That is awesome. Super awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And I think I'm, I'm already so excited just introducing you i'm just going to pass it on to you go ahead continue your introduction because i'm sure there's so much more that you'd like to add absolutely i think every single human being defines themselves oftentimes based off the dreams they chase and if i could take you back to kindergarten sam demma five years old sitting on the couch beside his father watching soccer that is where the dream really began. Uh, growing up, we would watch games as a family. We would miss family functions or show up late because we were stuck watching penalty shootouts or extra time of the Italy World Cup in 2006. And there would be legit pillow fights and screaming at the TV with passion. And from this kindergarten five-year-old Sam Demma, I started to attach happiness and joy and love to this sport of soccer because my family was all there and it, it really ingrained in my mind that soccer meant happiness and love and family. And kindergarten Sam Demma held on to that dream until he was 13. By that age, 
all of his training and sacrifice started to pay off. And imagine leaving your home, leaving your friends, leaving your family, moving to a country where you don't speak the first language to try and pursue a professional contract. At 13, I left everybody, moved myself to Italy when most students are getting ready to start high school. And I had to do my own laundry. <laughs> it was a very new experience for me as a 13-year-old man. Um, but we were on this intense training regimen. You know, every day, two to three hours of training. We would do yoga as a team. We would eat lunch as a team. And by the end of that six-month period in Italy, I didn't sign a pro contract. But I came back home to Canada with this new understanding and passion. And, you know, that... If I had to define Sam Demma um, and introduce myself, I would say that base of growing up and wanting to become a professional soccer player um, defines the characteristics that I share now, that I consider myself someone who's a leader, who aspires to make a positive impact on other people, who looks to pull experiences out of others that might be helpful for another group of audiences to hear. And how I do those things today is different than when I was pursuing my dream to play pro soccer, Today, that looks like keynote speaking. You know, I'm writing a book, so soon to be author. I'm the host of two podcasts. I also co-founded Pick Waste, this environmental initiative that we'll speak about a little bit later. And I sit on the board of directors for CAPS, the Canadian Association of Professional Speaker Speakers, where I'm responsible for all of the monthly programming. So I definitely have my toes in different buckets, but what started it all was this five-year-old dream to play professional soccer. It's beautiful. I'm already going to be getting goosebumps as I can sense. So it's, I'm, I'm really, really intrigued to hear more about that journey. So let's, let's uh, go back to that piece, Sam. Maybe again, um, I know you've probably said this many times, but uh, professional soccer, why only professional soccer? And where did that stem from? Let's start with that. Yeah. So kindergarten Sam built this image in his mind that it's what he wanted to do from a young age based off the experiences he had with his family. By the time I was 13, the experience in Italy shifted my perspective and it confirmed in my heart and in my mind that this is what I wanted to do. Being in this professional environment every single day at a young age, I was able to see what it would look like to actually live and play and train like a pro athlete. So when I came back home to Canada, I promised myself in grade nine, I'm going to do everything in my power to make this dream a reality. Mm. I'm going to replicate what I was doing in Italy. Every day I would train before school. I would train after school. I would practice an hour away from my house. So it'd be an hour drive there, a two hour training session and an hour drive home. You know, four hours a day as a high school student dedicating to a sport is a lot. And it, it gets a little bit overwhelming, but I loved it. And I made the decision to give up things in my life if it didn't support that dream. You would only find me in a gym training on a soccer field, exercising or playing in a classroom studying or, you know, like at home eating my mom's pizza before going to practice. And I think one of the beautiful things about sacrifice is when you give up something in the pursuit of a dream and a goal, somewhere in your future, it starts to pay off. 17 years old, senior year of high school. 
I remember sitting in my fourth period economics class and I was not the best math student, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and our teacher, his name is Mr. Belmonte, was teaching us about opportunity cost. This idea that no matter what you do, you're always exchanging an opportunity for whatever other alternative option you choose. You can't cut the grass and go to the birthday party at the same time. You have to choose one or the other. And I was listening to his lesson, but I was also very excited because for the entire week, that that whole week, we had coaches from the States coming to our soccer practice to watch us play as a team in the hope that they would recruit some of our athletes. Now for your team to have coaches come to the States solely to watch you at a practice means you must be on like a very strong program or a very strong team. And it was a really awesome opportunity. And I was on my tippy toes the whole week, just waiting, just waiting for a message, waiting for an email, waiting for an opportunity that kindergarten Sam had waited for his entire life. And I remember sitting in the fourth period economics class when I hear this ping on my laptop. And there it was. An email from Tony McManus, the men's soccer head coach of Memphis University. How do you think kindergarten five-year-old Sam Demo felt? The kid who would sit on his father's lap and watch soccer games and who developed his dream to play pro soccer. I instantly got overwhelmed with emotion, shot my hand up, interrupted my teacher, ran out into the hallway, picked up my cell phone and called my dad. Because the email said, Sam, we're very interested in you as an athlete. You have the grades. You have the skills. We want to bring you down for an official visit. What that means is they pay for your flight. They pay for the hotel. They fly you down to the campus in the hope that next year you make the decision to take all of their money. (laughs) And they give you a free tuition to their school in exchange for you playing on their soccer team. A few days after that email... I remember getting on an airplane, flying to Memphis. And for me, it was like a dream come true. We got to tour the campus, meet the coaches, meet the academic staff. When I was 15, I flipped and sold gym equipment on Kijiji for two years so I could buy a home gym in my basement. Mm. And I was so excited that I had one rack and one bar and one set of dumbbells. I remember walking through the Memphis gym and there's like a hundred racks a hundred rows of dumbbells those things that you love imagine having a hundred of them (laughs) i was just like blown away and we got to eat in the cafeteria meet the coaches practice with the team and by the end of the three days i was walking towards the bus that was going to bring us back to the airport and the head coach tony pulled me aside sam we're extremely interested We think you're an amazing athlete, but we want to watch you play one more time in a more high-pressure environment. And what he meant by high-pressure environment was the Disney Cup. Every single year, there's this big tournament that happens in Florida, and hundreds upon hundreds of coaches go and recruit players for their college teams. The complex in Disney has over 100 soccer fields, some of which are filmed and put on TV. And at each of these games, you can expect somewhere between 20 to 50 college coaches along the sideline holding clipboards and pens. So there's a a huge opportunity for you to, you know, become a scholarship athlete at one of these schools. Mm 
I remember being so excited, hopping on the bus, going to the airport, flying back home to Canada and beginning to prepare myself. And five days before leaving for that trip, I was playing in a friendly match with my team, which means it's just you versus your own teammates. You know, we're playing a game, but there's no real opponent. It's just to make each of us better. You know, I want to push my teammate and he's going to push me. And there was a second level. We were in a stadium and the second level had a concrete track. And there, there was three or four coaches at this friendly match leaning on the red rail, looking down at all of us, watching us play. So it was another massive opportunity before a second massive opportunity. And it was maybe the 42nd minute of this game when I was sprinting towards the ball just over the half line. And I, I bumped shoulders with this 200-pound beast on my team. We'll call him Mr. Incredible because he looked just like the father in the movie, The Incredibles. Mm -hmm. And I remember after we bumped shoulders, I flew five feet to the right. My cleats dug into the turf as I regained my balance. And then very quickly, I realized something felt really funny in my left knee. And I ran around the field for the next five minutes with this clicking and grinding in my upper left leg before deciding it's probably in your best interest to get off the soccer field. I remember taking a knee and raising my hand and walking myself off the pitch. And as I crossed over the sideline, I immediately started crying. You know when situations happen in life where you feel like something terrible is about to happen, but you're not exactly sure what it is? Mm -hmm. You have this like gut feeling? It's exactly what it felt like. And I walked over the sideline, went into the change room, unlaced my shoes, took off my shin guards, placed them on my bag. How do you think kindergarten five-year-old Sam felt in those moments? Well, growing up, soccer was my entire identity. I had no idea that I was going to tear the meniscus in my left knee. I had no idea that I wouldn't be able to play in the biggest opportunity of my life that I trained 17 years for. I had no idea that the next three years of my high school experience would be some of the toughest times ever. I remember uncontrollably crying in front of my parents. It got so bad that after my second knee surgery, I unfollowed all of my former teammates because just even seeing the game of soccer caused me so much sickness and anxiety and anger. I unfollowed my coach. It took me two years before I gained the mental peace where I could follow some of these athletes back. And I ended up having two major knee surgeries. I ended up tearing the cartilage in both of my knees and in my right hip. And after two and a half years of trying to get back on my feet, I finally made the decision to stop playing. You asked me why professional soccer? Mm-hmm. Since the age of five, I was that student. I was that young person who always wanted to make a positive impact on others. Soccer was one way that I was able to do that. I was the athlete who would encourage all my other teammates to stretch. I was the athlete who would come 15 minutes early and make notes in his car about podcasts that he listened to on the drive to practice in the hope that he could improve his game. I was the athlete who would yell at my teammates when they cut corners during fitness and we were doing full field laps sprinting around the soccer field. I was the student who would ensure everyone else on my team was also developing themselves as human beings and not only athletes. 
I was really looking to make a positive impact on others. And what it took me a long time to realize was that the skills I developed as an athlete, as a soccer player, could also be applied to a new game in life that I chose to play. And I was lucky that I had a high school teacher who really helped me realize that uh, while I was also going through this really tough experience. Yeah. And, and to that point, Sam, I think, uh, Sam, um, it'll be nice just to dive into that piece to understand what from that teacher really inspired you to dive into this, because I think you've, you've already shared this journey so far. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. It's tough when you have your whole, you know, your dream shattering in front of you, everything dedicated to that one dream. And now how do you move from where, you know, everything's pretty much shattered. I think it needs to be a stronger word than shattered, but yeah, it's, it's really tough. And with all the passion and all the sacrifices and everything that you'd made for that dream to come true, and you probably now knew, yeah, you're not going to be able to take that forward. What from this teacher and changed for you? And how did you challenge yourself to move and take that next step? I would show up to class with crutches and bags of frozen peas strapped to my knees to reduce the swelling while I was at school. I was the one student taking the little elevator, broken down elevator that we had in our high school because I couldn't walk up the stairs. I would walk into class and my teacher, Michael Loudfoot, was one of the only teachers I had who saw through my identity as an athlete and challenged me as a human being. Saw me as Sam the human, not soccer Sam the athlete. And he would pull me to the side of his desk and say things like, Sam, you have the ability to change the world. The skills and talents you've developed are applicable in other things in life. And he, he, he taught with so much passion. I wasn't super passionate about history and world issues before going into his class. It was his passion. He would stand in front of the class and scream at us in a good way, not at us, but scream with passion about the content he was teaching. And I'm sure you've had a teacher like that before as well. Those are the ones that leave this lasting impact on us. And because he was so passionate about solving these problems, it started to rub off on me. And there was this one day in April of 2017 where he started breaking down the lives of figures in history. Tried to prove to us that all these individuals had some commonalities that if you and I chose to embody, we could also make a change and impact. Mm -hmm. Whenever I got really engaged in class, I would start whispering under my breath. And I, I sometimes talk to myself walking through my house. Yeah. I don't know if you're anything like me, but my sister sometimes catches me speaking to myself and she turns the corner and says, who the heck are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> but I also do it in school when I got really engaged in a lesson. So I began whispering under my breath as my teacher was teaching us and challenging us. I started saying, sir, sir, what is it? What is the common trait? And it's almost as if Mike heard me because he got up from the corner of the room, walked to the middle of the classroom, looked at me right in my eyes. And he said these three words that I will never forget. Small, consistent actions. 
said, you want to make a change? You want to make a difference? You want to reinvent yourself or do something meaningful? All you need to do is take a small, consistent action. And those three words became my affirmation. I would walk home from high school thinking to myself and asking myself, what small, consistent action can you take to see if your teacher is correct? Like most high school students, every day I would walk home on the days I didn't take the bus. I would pop my headphones in, listen to music. And for 14 days, roughly two weeks after that lecture, I finally came up with an answer to the question, what can your small action be? And I came up with the answer because a coffee cup blew across the sidewalk. And for some odd reason in that moment, I just felt the urge to bend down and pick it up. And if you're from North America, I'm sure you could guess the brand. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I won't tell you what it is, but after I picked it up, I rolled up the rim to win. <laughs> and I didn't win any coffee, donuts, or a bike, but it was in that moment that I realized that in and of itself is a small action. And you walk home from school every single day passing tons of garbage. Why not take two seconds to pick it up? Long story short, that small action of picking up trash led to the start of our first social community organization called Pick Waste because we live in Pickering and we were aiming at picking up trash. It's pretty good marketing, right? <laughs> Definitely. And every Saturday morning, we planned to go outside with students and pick up garbage to see if Mike's theory was right, if this small action done consistently could make a big change. It's been four years since we've started. We've done over 300 cleanups, filled just over 3,000 bags of garbage, picked up over 30,000 cigarette butts, given out close to 6,000 volunteer hours to high school students towards their 40-hour requirements in Ontario to graduate. And it all stemmed from picking up one coffee cup. And the reason I'm sharing this is not because I think you need to go inside your organizations and yell, everyone grab a garbage bag and let's go pick up trash. Because that's my thing. Find your own thing, okay? Be original. <laughs> totally joking. The, the reason I shared is because Mike was right. A small, consistent action can make a massive global change. You asked the question, how did I pick up the pieces? It was through volunteerism. For me personally, it was through giving back. It was through getting involved. It was through saying yes to new opportunities, to new experiences that helped me reinvent myself and rebuild the identity of Sam Demma. Because the biggest problem was five-year-old kindergarten Sam held on to his dream of becoming a pro athlete for 12 years. By that point, I had so deeply attached my self-worth as a human to my ability to be a great soccer player that I thought if I wasn't playing a sport, if I wasn't kicking a ball, that I'd be worth nothing as a human being. And it was through volunteering and giving back that I start to rebuild my significance or what I thought was my significance of giving back and being of service and being impactful. And that's also what you know led me to speaking in schools and to the work I'm doing today. Um, I hope that answers your question. Definitely does. In fact, it leads to many more now. So my next question for you, Sam, would be, you're, you've been so passionate in your whole uh, soccer dream that you know, you've, you've had since childhood. And the passion that you speak with today, the passion that you bring to others around you, even with the work or the rebuilding of yourself that you've done today, how... What inspires you to drive that 
to drive yourself so passionately. I'm sure our viewers would be keen to, you know, understand that because passion stems from somewhere. And it's definitely not easy to rebuild yourself. That's one journey I'm sure you took, a hell of a journey, I'm sure. Um, I mean, it started with this picking off this coffee cup and led to so many interventions that you just shared and spoke about. But there has to be this whole intrinsic passion that comes and stems from somewhere. Tell us a little yeah. more about your passion. Absolutely. I took a very unconventional path in life. I moved away when I was 13 to Italy. I pursued a dream that everybody told me only 0.05% of athletes ever make it professionally. My school counselors would tell me, make sure you have a backup plan. My family would tell me, there's not that much money in that. You know, consider something else. My friends would tell me they believed in me. But you know when someone tells you they believe in you, but you, you kind of know that their words and their actual belief in you are two very different things. It was one of those paths. And I felt a little bit lonely. I felt like sometimes I was taking the wrong path because everyone around me was doing something different. And it didn't help that in high school, I also decided to take the fifth year when all my friends went away and started high school or started university or college. It didn't help that after the fifth year, I took a gap year an entire year off to try and figure out what I was passionate about and what I did like doing. And then thirdly, it didn't help when I went to university and dropped out after a month and 14 days. I made all these decisions that society tells us are wrong, are not okay. And I was able to find myself through those decisions and build a meaningful life, a life that I deem meaningful, a life that I'm able to impact others on. What drives me today and keeps me going is helping that younger version of myself who was struggling so deeply to realize that whatever decision you make, it's okay as long as it feels right for you. You know, there is no timeline in life. The thing that drives me right now is a young student who might also be a dreamer, chasing a dream that other people deem unrealistic. And if my words or experiences can help them understand that one, their self-worth, your self-worth is not attached to your talent, skills, and abilities, whether it's a soccer player, you know, a hobby that you play or anything that you're involved in. And then secondly, that the most important thing you can do is follow your heart, even if it makes no sense to other people. So I think that's really what drives my work speaking to students and in schools. And I use servant leadership as a big driver of that message because that's how I figured this stuff out. It was through giving back that I was able to find myself understanding that every single day you have the opportunity to make an impact in the lives of other people. That's something that drives me. Um, there, yeah, there's, there's so many sources of inspiration. What I've recently realized as well is that I still love pushing my body physically. One aspect of sport that I really enjoyed was the mental reward you get for pushing the body physically. When you're training really hard, or pushing yourself past your limits. There is a mental reward when you finish, right? After you finish a workout, ah, I feel so good. And you can't get that feeling from anything else, which is why I now box six times a week and do workouts in the morning in my basement. Physical fitness is a big part of my life. And how that ties into my passion or purpose is I enjoy pushing past limits. 
I enjoy seeing what's possible. So reaching my personal full potential, being the best version of Sam Demo that I can possibly be is something I aspire to do, which ties back into my passion of being, you know, of service and of value to others. Because the more valuable I become personally, the more helpful I can be to those around me. So the passion stems from many different areas. I hope that gave you a few good examples. Oh, definitely. Uh, I'm sure even our listeners and viewers are going to be inspired hearing you already, Sam. So this is really cool. Um, and, and the stories just just align so completely also with organizational change. And as you know, I, I do a lot of organizational change myself. And as you were talking, you know, those questions keep popping me uh, in my head. And I was like, huh, how is it different or is it not at all, right? Because we're still driving towards cause and purpose and it has to stem from somewhere. Now, when we bring organizational change and I'm, I'm just curious to hear your perspective uh, maybe people even reached out to you already and maybe we've, we've just not talked around those lines yet, but perhaps a good time now to bring that out. Um, how would you see this resonate or not in terms of similarities and differences with people driving change in organizations? Maybe that's a starting point and let's lead in with that. Yeah, absolutely. I am by no means an organizational change expert, but I will share my perspective in the hope that it's helpful. I think I'm going to take the perspective of looking at it like a team. Uh, how do we change the perspectives and outcomes and actions of athletes? Because when I was on a soccer field, there's a group of 11 of us that have to work in harmony towards one unified goal or outcome based off the instruction our coach gives us, AKA your boss. <laughs> and the way we made changes on the field as a soccer team was firstly based off the fact that everyone believed soccer was a safe space. Um, we had to know, every single one of us on the team had to know that we could share things with each other that we had deep relationships, uh, like, like it was a brotherhood. Um, so when someone gets knocked down, they're not worried that somebody is going to scold them or make fun of them or ream them out, um, but instead walk over and pick them up. I think that was the foundation of adjusting our games, our style of play, uh, listening to what our coach was saying. Uh, the foundation was that it was a safe space. Secondly, Everybody had to buy into the purpose. If the purpose of a specific game was to change our formation, you know, soccer has, you have 11 players and you can organize those players on the field in many different ways. One of the classic ways is four defenders, four midfielders, and two offense. They call it the 4-4-2. But there were certain games where the other team was very strong in the middle of the field and we would change our formation and play a 4-5-1 so four defenders, five in the middle and one up top to, you know, try and battle and win in the middle of the field against the other team. Now that change would not work unless every player on the field said, yes, this makes sense and we have to do this to win this game. So I think getting people in organizations or on teams to buy into the change you're hoping to make and believe in it on a personal level is really important because if you don't believe in something, when nobody is watching you, when no one is tapping you on the shoulder, asking you, are you taking the correct actions you have to take? There's a high probability that you probably won't do it. Mm -hmm. So 
I think one, we have to have a safe space. Two, we have to have everybody bought into this unified singular mission and vision. And then three, I think each person on the team has to have a very strong personal why, like a very strong personal reason as to why they're even playing the game. There are so many people I meet in education who are phenomenal educators, who are doing amazing work, changing young people's lives. And then there's other people I meet who very clearly are unhappy. I don't even have to ask them if they love the work they're doing. I can just tell that they don't, that they'd rather be somewhere else. For you to make a change, for you to unify a team, I think every person has to feel like there's a very strong personal reason as to why they're doing the work they're doing. And if they're in the wrong position, maybe they have to be put on the bench or transferred to a different team, you know, AKA a different profession. So I think in my experiences, change comes when A, there's a safe environment, B, every person is bought into the unified mission that's being pushed forward by leadership and then see each of the individual members also have a very strong personal reason as to why they believe the work they're doing is extremely important. And when those three things are in check, I think it's a lot easier to adjust and pivot as a team. Totally love that. It so aligns with how we bring or we try and bring change in organizations. And then we forget that there's so much similarity with social change and how we can just leverage everything that we do in the social space to exactly the same. It's just four walls in the organization, or now I'd call it virtual walls, uh, yeah. since, since the organization has just changed to these Zoom boxes and whatnot. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it's all about people, people feeling safe, psychologically safe, people uh, being able to work together as a team, co-creating that change with each other rather than having change just thrown at them because they need to personally have that why like you said the personal inner passion for them to be able to say why do i even want to be on this team or why do i want to change um am i on board or not not just for the heck of it but because i have a reason to be there Yeah. yeah really cool so I'm going to dive into, I know I'd love to continue talking with you, Sam, but in the interest of time, I'm going to ask you, you did mention just while we were chatting before we started this podcast, you have a book upcoming. And I was curious whether you've written a book or not, and you seem to have a book coming up already. Do you want to share something about that with us? Absolutely. The book is for that same young student who drives the passion I have for my work. It's for the student who has a dream, has a goal, that when they share this dream and goal with other people, it always gets deemed as something unrealistic or impossible or very unprobable. I wrote the book for that individual because that was me in high school, chasing the dream to play pro soccer. And I know, especially in today's day and age, there is millions of students who are artists who aspire to be art artists, who aspire to be entrepreneurs, who aspire to be athletes, who aspire to get into fields that are maybe extremely difficult to get into, who feel a little bit alone and isolated. So the book aims to give them, in the form of my past experiences, sort of like a playbook that can help them make some belief, some shifts in beliefs and some shifts in actions that will bring them a little bit closer to their dreams and goals. 
the working title of the book is Dear High School Me, Live Lessons About Chasing Your Dreams and Creating a Life of Meaning. I'm not 100% sure on the title yet. That's something that's very difficult to, you know, settle on. Um, but the book itself has finished the first draft and it's about to get into editing. And I'm hopeful that when it does come out, it will reach thousands of young people and make a massive impact on their own career journeys and also lives. And thank you so much for asking about the book. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, I think um, I would say probably not just for, you know, the young people out there, but yeah. everybody. I think it's an inspiration. And if we haven't, you know, I'm, I'm personally inspired by your journey. I think the more the more podcasts I listen to now, talking to you, chatting with you before this, it's it's so inspiring and so real for me to feel that. I would say itch within that, you know, let's let's do something for social problems that we have today. Let's bring the best out because each individual, like you say, can make a difference. You don't need the whole world to do it at the same time together. But let's start. Each of us is a change maker. So why not? And I, I always ask the question, what would the world look like if every single person was truly and honestly chasing the dream in their heart and making their personal contribution, whether big or small? What if every single person was living out that dream? How would the world change? And I think it's a world that can exist and it starts with you and every single person, um, you know, being honest and authentic and pursuing the thing that itches at their heart. Um, there's nothing better than meeting somebody who is doing what they believe they should be doing because they do an amazing job. They do amazing work and, you know, leave a serious impact. Um, so I hope that, you know, if you take a few things away from this podcast, maybe it's that a small action, your small actions make a big difference, that it's never too late to change and start chasing a dream that, um, you know, your self-worth isn't attached to your skills, talents, and achievements. And the importance of creating safe spaces and organizations. Like, I hope there's at least one thing from this conversation you take away that makes an impact in your personal life. Definitely. And for all our listeners and viewers, uh, I think it's really cool that, you know, the way Sam brings it, uh, small, consistent actions, just execute that consistently and I'm sure we can all make this world a better place together and individually. Thank you so much, Sam, for being on the show. It's been brilliant talking to you. I'd love to continue talking to you for a really long time. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe once your book is out, we can get you back in on another podcast with us. That sounds great, Sarika. Thank you so much for having me and keep up the great work. Thank you. And thank you all for uh, listening and viewing our podcast and podcast. And uh, you know where to reach out, perspectivesofchange.com. You will find us uh, live out there. If you would like to be on our podcast, just write to us. You have our email information, everything available at perspectivesofchange.com. See you soon next time. Until then, thank you. Have a lovely day ahead. <laughs>